James chapter 4 and verse number 6 says, "For But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. I want to continue talking about pride, but I want to compare it with humility. And it, it, it and compare the differences as we can see them in our lives and and how it can maybe creep up without us realizing it. I remember years ago we had a preacher preaching on the Ten Commandments. And he mentioned that pride is a sin. It's a huge sin. And of course we already knew that. And he emphasized the idea that, so I never say I'm proud of anything. And I agree with that. I don't think we should be proud of our children, but I think we should be thankful for our children. I think we should be grateful and blessed. And um, the same with most anything else you can think of. We should replace the word with thankful, grateful, uh, and, uh, and realizing that pride will get us in trouble. And pride will bring us down. Pride was what brought down Lucifer. The pride of life is what works in our lives as well. So let's look at some comparisons to to see the difference, maybe the contrast between pride versus humility. One is complaining. Complaining against God. Numbers chapter number 14. You have these people that were really, really, really good at complaining. They were the Hebrews who had been freed from Egypt but they had really bad memories and they couldn't remember how bad it was in Egypt and when the spies went to spy out the land two of them came back and said this is going to be great and ten of them came back and said this is going to be awful and they listened to the ten instead of the two it says in Numbers 14.1 and all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night, and all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? Wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain, and let us return into Egypt. Verse 9. The response from the the good men, Joshua, Caleb, Moses, only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But, verse 10, all the congregation bade stone them with stones. They wanted to kill them. They were so bent on the pessimism and they rejected what God had said they could have and we know they ended up wandering for 40 years in the wilderness and none of those people got to see the promised land complaining against God just just 
having the idea that we know more. And I, I, I think it's amazing that, that God could have done all that he did for them and the ten plagues and how that he split the water in half and they went across on dry ground, water out of a rock to, to quench the thirst of million people, and somehow they still had something to complain about. In another passage of Scripture, they complained about not having uh, the leeks and onions and garlics in Egypt, and all they had was this manna that came out of the sky, and they found reason to complain about that. Romans chapter 9 in verse 20 says it this way. Romans nine twenty, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Do we have a right to question the Creator in the way he made us? And yet, we do. And I think it's because somehow we think we could do it better than God. Like an armchair quarterback, we sit there and we critique everything. But somehow we get the silly notion that if God had asked my opinion, I could have sure helped him out on this one. Silly, silly, silly. Psalm 119 is a contrast to that. Psalm 119. We should realize that disappointments are God's appointments. And probably disappointments are simply because we weren't thinking the way God was thinking. We weren't on the same page. And when God and I aren't on the same page, guess who's wrong? And so we need to realize that when we are disappointed, it's because we weren't necessarily thinking the same thing God was thinking. And when we're humble, we're willing to accept that and to go forward with his plan rather than arguing with him. Psalm 119, verse 66 says, Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Psalm 119, and verse 67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Before you got afflicted from time to time, you would go astray too. But God, in his love, helps us and prods us along. Verse 71 says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. That affliction helps me to learn. I can't help but think about the ministry that we were talking about just this weekend. It's affliction that causes us to have a desire to learn. It's affliction that causes us to desire to help others. Affliction sometimes is allowed in our lives, not because we did anything necessarily to bring it on or deserve it, but because God wants us to be a blessing to someone else. He wants us to be an example for someone else. He has a desire for us to teach someone else with what we've learned. Psalm 119 and verse 75 says, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. I'm really sorry to hear the man that was teaching us this weekend talk about his own relationship with his father and how that his father was hurtful to him. I'm really sorry to hear that. But you know what? In the big picture, though, that's why he's doing what he's doing. That's why he's in the ministry he's in, because of that very thing. You know, sometimes God allows us to have afflictions that are lousy, but it's to steer us in a direction we would have never gone otherwise. I think about what it says, and I think it's I think it's 2 Corinthians. Let's go there. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 
Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether you, we be afflicted, it is for your consolation. In other words, I praise God that he allowed me to have trouble because that helps me now to teach others where to find the answer to the trouble. Because I had trouble, I sought God for the answer. And because I sought God for the answer, I can now teach other people how to find the answer to the same trouble that they're facing. You see, that's what this is about that we've been talking about this weekend. It's about people who found the answers and now can share with other people where to find the answers. Complaining is not right. It's pride. It's as if we're saying, God, you're messing up here. You're doing it wrong. And we need to realize he never does it wrong. And recognizing his character is always right and he knows what he's doing. And if he has a broken heart in store for me, he's got a reason that I don't necessarily see. I mentioned it this morning already. But a lack of gratitude is a result of pride. Second Chronicles 32. Second Chronicles verse chapter 32. Second Chronicles 32 and verse 24. It's King Hezekiah. And King Hezekiah, he he had a hard time sometimes trusting God and being submissive to God's way. In chapter 32 and verse 24, it says, In those days Hezekiah was sick to the death and prayed unto the Lord. And he spake unto him and he gave him a sign. Do you know what the sign was that was given to Hezekiah? God had the sundial move several degrees backwards. I mean, that's, that's as if the sun went backwards several degrees. That was an unusual and amazing sign. And he did heal him. He didn't die like he thought he was going to. But verse 25 says, But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore there was wrath upon him and upon Judah and upon Jerusalem. Hezekiah ended up raising a very spoiled brat for a kid named Manasseh. Later, he did humble himself, but Hezekiah thought he deserved that. He thought he deserved God healing him. Now, I would think it would be wonderful if God would heal our loved ones who are dying and heal us when we're sick and dying, but it might not necessarily be what God's plan is. And we certainly have no right to assume that he has to because after all, I'm the king or something like that. Pride is the opposite of thanksgiving. And a lack of gratitude is because of pride. I mentioned this also, I didn't quote the verse, but 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7 says, For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? What do you have that you didn't receive from God? I mean, 
even if you worked hard and, and you developed a talent or you exercised, you still received something that you had to work with. I mean, there are people who are born without everything correct in their handicap from birth. Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? If you know that you received it from God, then why do you act like you didn't receive it from God, that you made yourself? Silly, silly, silly. A lack of gratitude is the result of pride. The opposite, of course, being thankful towards God and others. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. 1 Thessalonians 5:18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything, give thanks. I don't have the quote in front of me. It's posted on my desk. I mentioned it last week, though. Learn to be so mature and confident in God's plan that you are not upset when things don't go your way. Because things are still going God's way. No matter what happens tomorrow, whatever happens in the elections coming up, whatever happens in our future Things are still under God's plan. He's allowing wicked things to happen, but that's still under God's control. And we need to learn to be in total focus of knowing that God's in charge. And I can be thankful if you are upset because you didn't have a mom and a dad in your home as a child. Well, I agree with you that God's ideal home is mother father, children, all together, and we're seeing such a breakup of that. But don't you understand, as we read earlier, that maybe God has allowed you to have that because he knows you're going to meet someone else who also had that. And it's your opportunity to show them how you found the solution, you found the answer, and you found the way to to cope with that and to realize that God's got a plan and I can be used of him to help you find him too. And oh, by the way, here's what I have noticed. I have noticed this over and over. Kids are bitter and angry because their parents divorced or their parents did this or did that. And they say, not going to do that when I grow up. But you know what? It takes more than just determination. It takes the grace of God. Marriage isn't just for people who are real good at it. It's for people who have the grace of God. It takes determination. Otherwise, you'll find out the hard way that it's harder than you think. Being thankful toward God and toward others. And it says, notice verse 18. It says, in almost everything, give thanks. Oh, no, sorry. That was the other version. This is the King James Version. It says, and how many things give thanks? In everything give thanks. Yeah, but what if you woke up this morning with a really bad head cold and your nose is dripping and you have to talk to a bunch of people and preach to a bunch of people? In everything give thanks. At least I have a nose. In everything give thanks. No matter what. Why? Because God's still God. God's got a reason for it. There must be a reason why God's allowing it. And there's a good, it's going to be good. It doesn't feel good, but it's going to be good. It's okay. It's all right. 
being thankful toward God and towards others in everything. One time it was a really nasty, terrible storm. And the preacher was known for always being so positive and always having such an optimistic outlook and always giving thanks. And people thought, how in the world? This is in the days of horse and buggy. and Everybody's drenched and soaked as they come to church. And it's just a horrible day. And the preacher stands up to pray. And they wonder, what in the world is he going to say? And he prayed, Lord, I thank thee that it's not like this all the time. I mean, in everything, give thanks. In everything, think of something to praise God for. And that's a humble spirit. The proud spirit says, I don't know why God's got to ruin my plans. I don't know. Listen, you aren't God, he is. And then another indication of pride, Proverbs chapter 27 and Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3 and Proverbs Proverbs 27 and verse 1 and 2. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth, a stranger and not thine own lips. Galatians chapter number 6 and verse 3 says, For if a man thinketh himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Talking too much about you boast not thyself of tomorrow let another man praise thee instead of yourself talking too much about ourself being careful that we are the hero of our story recognizing that that's a pride thing and it's real easy to talk about all the good things you've done or how you look good in this situation we all have done that but you know what the humble heart does they're better at listening they realize that it's more important to be edifying than it is to be self-edifying. There's a couple places we can turn to to look at that. James chapter 1 and verse 19 says, Be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Listening more than talking. The humble heart doesn't have to always have the last say or to say the most. Philippians 2 verse 3 and 4 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. The humble heart has the desire to recognize that they don't know everything and probably someone else has learned something and has something to say. We were talking about this hope ministry that we're wanting to start and how that you know one thing i'm sure that probably scares some of us that are getting involved is standing up in front of people or leading a group or something like that um and yet i know for a fact that there are some people in our church that have much more to say on certain subjects than i do and have better experiences and better testimonies about certain things than i could give and opportunities that you have and let each esteem other better and maybe they've got a better way and and to have a humble heart and listen more than talking and then ephesians ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29 says let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace 
unto the hearers. I think a good rule of thumb is for us to stop and say, will this conversation result in both of us feeling more built, built up, both of us getting good, sound wisdom and having an edifying conversation, or will this tear down someone? Being a good listener rather than just talking. And then not only that, but talking about others only if it's good and for their good. Proverbs 11 and verse 13. Proverbs 11:13. A talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. Earlier this afternoon, Harmony came over to my house and kicked me right in the shin. She didn't. I just made that up. It was yesterday. No, just kidding. But you know what? Even if she had, do I need to tell you about it? Do I need to tell you about it? No. And what if I didn't tell you that she came back an hour later and apologized for it? I left that part out. And even if I didn't leave that part out, did I still need to tell you about it? See, it's important that we recognize that when we talk about others, we want them to not have to deal with a reputation because of what we talked about. We should recognize the importance that sometimes we might know something and it's absolutely true and it's really juicy, but it will not be a good thing. We'll hurt somebody with what we're going to say. It might not be the person we're talking to, but we're going to hurt someone. Years ago, I read the story about some young people that had spread some terrible things about their local pastor and had said some things, and it really it had went all over the community, and it was not even true. And it hurt, and of course, it caused a real stir, and, and uh, it really hurt the pastor and hurt uh, his reputation. And but the good thing was is the young people came back to him and they said, we're so sorry, we, we're wrong. What we did was absolutely wrong. And he forgave them and he was very grateful that they came and had that heart of, of humble, you know, desiring to be forgiven. But he told them, he said, I want you to come with me. And he took a pillow full of feathers and they went out to the top of a hill and he cut the pillow open and he said to the young men, now I want you guys to shake this pillow. And he began to shake the pillow and all the feathers started coming out of the pillow. And the breeze caught all these feathers and just took them. And they just looked at him like, okay, what are we doing? And he said, now, I want you to gather all the feathers and put them back in the pillow. They looked at him and said, we're not going to be able to do that. They're just, they're everywhere. He said, yeah. He said, that's what gossip is like. You can never get it all back. And so the humble heart does less talking and more listening. And if they are talking, they're very careful about what they're saying. And I know this because I'm a, I'm a talker, right? I, I do the most talking on, on Sunday at church. But the talking has to be about God, not about me. He, he has to be the hero of the story, not the pastor. 
talking too much about ourselves. And I would say there's there's another one I'd like to bring up to you tonight if I could. How about in pride, the lack of admitting when you're wrong. Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. I think we're in chapter 11. So chapter 10, verse 17. He is in the way of life that keepeth instruction. But he that refuseth reproof erreth. You know, the reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Everybody in this room needs reproved from time to time. There's, there's just going to be a need for reproof. But the Bible says here, he is in the way of life that keepeth instruction. But he that, ref- I don't, don't, don't reprove me. Everybody else might need it, but not me. Hold it, that's pride. I never need to get, I never need to hear preaching like that. I never need to be reproved. Listen, we all need reproof. And if you refuse reproof, you're erring greatly. You're making a huge mistake. Instead, we should be humble enough to quickly admit when we're wrong. Chapter 29 of Proverbs in verse 23, it says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Boy, what a joy it is when I go to someone, including my own sons, and I say to them, this was wrong, you messed up. And they say, I'm sorry, you're right, I blew it. And when it comes to my sons, when they say it that way, I'm like, I want to faint. You're not going to argue? You're not going to defend yourself? Thankful when that happens. What happens when they defend themselves? Now we're having a fight. It turns into an argument. The Bible says, honor shall uphold the humble. You're right. And it could be that maybe the reprover is a little bit overbearing. It could be that maybe the reprover could have been a little more bedside mannerish. But the point is, they are right. And the humble heart says, thank you, I I need to hear that. Wow, what a blessing. Oh, by the way, it's easier to reprove them again. Because you're not afraid of what they're going to do. In, in fact, the Bible goes on to tell us that people who are offended by criticism are proud. Look at Proverbs 13, verse 1. Proverbs 13, verse 1. A wise son heareth his father's instruction, but a scorner heareth not rebuke. You might think, well, I I wonder why so-and-so never gets after me. It's probably because I never do anything wrong. You might want to think a little deeper than that. What if it's because they know you're a scorner and no matter what it is they criticize you for or try to help you with, you're not going to take it well. A scorner doesn't hear rebuke. Children, if your parent doesn't even want to get after you, it could be because they're just tired of the fighting, and that's too bad. That's sad for you and for them. But a wise son heareth his father's instruction, not being offended by criticism. There is such a thing as constructive criticism. 
chapter 15 and verse 5 says, A fool despiseth his father's instruction. But he that regardeth reproof is prudent. And I will admit that it helps to reprove nicely. Like in verse 1, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. It's sure a lot easier to hear reproof when you, when you are reproved in a kind way. But either way, when you despise your father's instruction, you're a fool. When you don't listen to the instruction given and you're not willing to listen and you don't have a heart that's humble enough to be reproved. I remember years ago, I think it was in sixth grade, my sixth grade teacher said one time concerning a, a, us, us sixth graders getting caught for something or getting in trouble for something. And she said something to the effect of, well, you might not think you deserved whatever it was this time, but just think of all the times when you didn't get caught. You know, the cop, that's a, that's a bad sign if that's what you call him. The cop pulled me over. I was only going five over. I mean, come on. I was only going five over. And, and he pulled me, and he and doesn't even give me a warning, he gives me a ticket. You know how many times I deserved a ticket and didn't get one? By the way, just a little just a little free side note here. If you'll treat them nice, you probably will get a warning instead of a ticket. If you'll just have a humble heart about it. Can I encourage you to be thankful instead of proud when criticism comes? Verse 20 says, a wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish man despiseth his mother. Ask yourself, why are, why are my parents getting after me? Is it because they're just so mean, or are they trying to help? Why is my boss saying this? Is it just because he hates me, or is he trying to better the product? Why is the pastor getting on my case? Is it because he's just mad at somebody else and taking it out on me? Or is there something I probably need to see? Being offended by criticism, it's pride. Instead, being thankful for criticism or reproof. Back at chapter 9 and verse 8 of Proverbs, to be thankful for criticism. 9.8 says, reprove not a scorner lest he hate thee. And, and, and again, let me just say, if you're a scorner, eventually people will stop trying to reprove you because you're a scorner. And they can't tell you anything. That's terrible. But instead, notice the second part of verse 8. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Learn to be a wise man who loves and appreciates someone who rebukes them, who reproves them, who, who corrects them. Chapter 27 and verse 5 and 6. Recently someone told me about their child that comes to Anchor Club. They don't come on Sunday, but on Wednesday they come to Anchor Club. This particular child is a real goober. And 
most of the conversation I have with this child is goes like this. Hey, stop that. Shh, listen. Hey, don't put your feet on the seat. All right, now he's talking now. Hey, uh, don't run. Hey, uh, quiet. It's time to pray. And and most, not all, but a lot of my conversation with that young person goes like that. So it was a shock when the parent said to me recently, they just love Anchor Club, and when they saw you, they gave you the biggest hug. And I thought, I'm always correcting them. But they love it. Because maybe no one else ever has. Being thankful for criticism or reproof. Chapter 27 and verse 5 and 6, it says, Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know, it's a blessing if you have someone that's willing to reprove you and rebuke you. Because that means they care about you. They want you to do better and to be better. Young people, I mentioned parents earlier. Maybe your parent isn't perfect. But thank the Lord that you have someone who cares enough to tell you what to do and gets after you if you aren't doing it right. And maybe they are hypocritical sometimes. That's because they're human. But you ought to be thankful that they're criticizing or or critiquing or reproving you for what you're, you're doing and what you're going through. Be thankful for that. And also, a proud person tends to be deceitful and to try to cover their mistakes. Look at Proverbs chapter 11, this time verse 3. Proverbs 11 and verse 3. The integrity of the upright shall guide them. Integrity meaning honesty. But the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. Being honest enough to not cover and to hide your mistakes, but to let it be open. I like this verse in Proverbs 28, verse 13. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Years ago, there was an incident that happened on the school bus, and I was asked about it. What I did was not the best thing that you could do. When Delmer was a child, it would have flown with flying colors what I did. What I did was is I slammed on the brakes, and I got everybody's attention. But it wasn't a good thing to do because kids bounce around like pinballs inside the bus when you do that. And they don't want you doing that anymore. But when you're yelling and they're not listening, it's a temptation to just hit the brake pedal harder than normal. All of a sudden, everybody's staring at you. So I had someone years ago that turned me in for that and tried to say that, you know, their child had whiplash and all this stuff. And, you know, and I'm telling you right now, I'm telling you, it was tempting when I was asked about it to say, well, there was a deer that ran across the road. But I knew that wasn't the right answer. And I knew the right answer was probably going to give me more grief than if I just told a lie. 
But the Bible says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Proud people have to lie once in a while. Do you know that? Really proud people have to lie all the time. If you're covering, it's because you're proud. You know you're wrong, and so you've got to make some kind of cover. But a humble spirit is honest about their own condition. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. Philippians. and verse 12 not as though I already attained or either were already perfect but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus brethren I count not myself to have apprehended or to have attained perfection but this one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There have been times where I have been wrong with my family. Usually it's an anger issue. And by the way, you know what anger is? It's the result of pride. Typically, not maybe every time, but typically when I get angry, it's because it didn't go my way. And so I have had to face the facts and the truth about what I did wrong, my temper, my anger, and go to my family. And every time there has been the thought, well, but they're not perfect either. And if they hadn't made me angry, I wouldn't have got angry. And, and I don't have to apologize And the Holy Spirit is saying, you are going to make a huge mistake if you can't practice what you preach and stand before your own family and ask for forgiveness and confess your wrong to them. You cover your sin. You you just won't prosper. You got to be honest. And Paul's saying, I don't think I have arrived. I don't think I have reached the finish line yet. I'm still growing. And every Christian is still growing and maturing and learning and making mistakes. And the humble heart is honest. And and, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. My kids get more out of that apology than they would any correction I gave. I'm helping my children immensely if I can be humble and honest before them. And if I'm not humble and honest before them, I'm hurting them. And so the humble heart is quick to ask for forgiveness and also to forgive when when they're needing to forgive. Matthew chapter 5. I almost said, and to forgive when they're asked. But that isn't correct. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 23. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought to 
against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. We need to stop and say, you know, before I can try to pray and, and serve God and offer something to God, I have to be right with my brother who I'm wrong with. Chapter 6 in verse 12, of course, says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Humble hearts are quick to ask for and to forgive others. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. It says, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. That humbleness of mind results in meekness and long-suffering forbearing one another forgiving one another if any man have a quarrel even as Christ yesterday on the board we were shown just with a little diagram how that it says in Ephesians chapter 4 even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you why am I forgiven for Christ's sake why am I considered forgiven because God loves Christ and God sees me in Christ I have a brother that's wrong with me. I forgive them, not because necessarily they even ask for forgiveness, but because in Christ I forgive them. Quick to ask for and to forgive and to be humble in our heart and mind. To recognize that my pride is going to just cause, make this even more worse. And so what happens is, is that we have someone who committed offense. They're wrong. My opportunity is to forgive them, but because I'm offended and I can't forgive them, I now am angry or vengeful or unforgiving, and now I'm wrong. They're wrong for what they did, but now I'm wrong. They have a, pr- a problem for whatever it was they did, but now I have a problem because I didn't respond the right way. Pride versus humility. There's lots more we could talk about, but let me just give you one other, or maybe two other here contrast one other time proud people don't have a lot of close friends Hebrews chapter 10 Hebrews chapter 10 says this In verse 24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know what's beautiful about a local church? If you're humble, you have a lot of friends. I think there are people that love coming to church because they see all their friends and they get to be around their friends and they're encouraged by their friends. Their friends are a blessing to them but when you're proud, you don't need church. When you're proud, you don't need friends. One day you will.
there have been so many of us going up to visit one of our church members in the hospital this past week that it's getting to the point where they're like, yep, she's in room nine. Oh, yeah, we know who you're here to see. Room nine. You know where you're going. Go ahead. I don't know. I, I don't know. But maybe somebody that works there is like, wow, she has a lot of friends. It's a blessing to be involved in a local assembly. And here's the thing about church. It's made up of a bunch of imperfect people who sometimes rub you the wrong way. I mean, sometimes it's like, it was their turn to clean, and I had to clean the whole thing. Or, they parked in my spot. Or, they made a mess. And now I have to clean it up. Or, I worked hard on that potluck casserole and they took half of it and then threw it away. Or, and on and on we can go. And I think God knew all that when he put church together and said, I want you to assemble and to consider one another and to provoke unto love and to good works. I look back there, I see Aaron. He lives in Wall, South Dakota. That's a long ways from here. He's been here all day. That's encouraging to me. That's a blessing. Maybe it's because he's getting encouraged. But you know, when you are, when you are part of a family of God, you you start to develop friends, and they're permanent. They're forever. You're saved. They're saved. You're on your way to heaven. You'll you'll be together forever. Let me show an example of, of what happens when you aren't proud and you're willing to fellowship with other people. Acts chapter 20. We'll, we'll be done. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, it's about Paul. And in verse 31, it says, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of this grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all, and they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, and sorrowing most for all the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him into the ship. They're crying and hugging Paul because they know they're never going to see him again in this world. That's what church family is. To have family. And it requires us to be humble. It requires us to be humble and to cooperate and to get along versus being proud. And one day, the proud person will get old. And if they're not careful, they'll die all alone. And I was thinking the other day as I left the hospital, it's interesting how that humble, simple people seem to have the most friends. Humble, simple people seem to have the most funeral attendance. 
versus the funerals of proud people successful in the eyes of the world. Hardly anybody shows up. Don't be proud. Be humble. Because as we read earlier, God resists the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. And pride's a sneaky thing. Pride is so sneaky. You can look at me and say, well, I can see where Pastor Matt's kind of proud. And you can look at someone else and say, you know, I can see where they've got that issue. And, you know, those people, they have a nice car and a nice house. I bet you they're proud of that. I don't. That's why I'm not proud. Because I'm poor. No, you're proud of being poor. See, pride is so sneaky because you can be proud of how proud you are or how not proud you are. You can be proud of your humility. You can be proud of the fact that you you didn't make a mistake like so-and-so did and you don't realize you're being proud. Pride's an awful thing. And so we have to constantly take a look at ourselves and say, am I acting like that? Is that my motive? What's going on there? What I've learned about me right here is the best thing that can happen to me is just fall flat on my face. Because as soon as I fall flat on my face, I'm over it. Whenever I go snow skiing, the best thing that can happen is for me to just wipe out. Because after I wipe out, I'm over it. Okay, everybody just saw me make a fool of myself, so who cares? It doesn't matter anymore. The best thing that can happen for me is just to get over myself and to make a fool of myself and then just move on. And I think the reason why sometimes people don't volunteer or don't do anything is because they don't want to make any fool of themselves. They don't want to, listen, that's pride. Don't you feel sorry for Peter? You read Peter in the Bible, it's like, Peter, you look like an absolute clown. But aren't you glad Peter's in the Bible? Because if Peter wasn't in the Bible, we wouldn't be encouraged by what Jesus did with Peter. Over and over again, he kept saying, Peter, You're all soaking wet again. Here, let me help you up. Peter, you just stuck your foot in your mouth again. Here, let me help you up. But Peter's a blessing because he wasn't so proud to not try. Let's not be proud. Let's be humble people. Lord, we thank you for opportunities to just be reminded of some different various things about pride and 